All right. Hey, we're going to continue, jump back in our series in Romans. Uh, last week, we took a week off, but we are, we're going to be in Romans this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6, sorry, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high, uh, and just keep it raised, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Again, that's Romans chapter 5, we're looking at verses 6 through 11. Um, If you are, this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo, I'm one of the pastors here. Well, if this is your second or third time, I've been gone for a couple weeks, and so uh, I'm one of the pastors here, I do primarily the teaching, and so I've been gone for a couple weeks. Two weeks ago, I was in Denver for a wedding, and then last week we had Robert teach, um, and so most of you guys are here to to hear the message from Robert on um, our call from the Bible to care for um, orphans, and then what we're doing as a church in redemption with our foster care and adoption. Um, funny story, I only shared it with the seven last week, but I figured, you know what, why not share it to the whole family, right? Is I'm in Denver for a wed- wedding. Ironically, Robert is from Denver. Um, that week that I was in Denver, Robert was preaching this message in Gilbert, and we videotaped it and show it the next week at all the other congregations. So I'm in Denver, all right? I get an email my phone buzz, I get my email, and there's a guy from the Gilbert congregation, and I won't say his name. And uh, he says, hey, thanks for coming over and preaching the day at our church. Your message on adoption was really good. And I, and I showed it to my wife. I was like, this is some bull, man. Are you serious? Like, like, do you really think all black people, I mean, at that point, you have to literally just say, I think all black people look alike, Right. He's showing pictures of his wife and kids. He's like, oh, in Colorado, and this guy's like, Ricardo is so good, right? So that's not to make fun of Gilbert, just that guy. (laughs) Hopefully none of you guys are here were like, wait, you weren't the guy on the screen last week? (laughs) So Romans chapter 5. We we took a break last week to hear from Robert, and and now we're going to get back in the Romans. I think it's week 22 for us. Um, so far, we've been looking at Paul's letter to this church in Rome. Um, two weeks ago, Jim came, and Jim um, concluded in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I want to read this here because this is going to set the stage in the context of what we're talking about this morning. Verse 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit um, who has been given to us. That, that picture there is that God is pouring his love, not that he has poured his love into our hearts. Paul begins to talk about doctrine and doctrine and doctrine, and then Romans 5 now, he's shifting to saying this doctrine means something in the context of God's love. That God is not only loving us, but God gives us his love, and he pours it into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This love and this this subjective sense of this love that we can sense now, what Paul does in verses 6 through 11 is begin to explain objectively this love. So in essence, what we're talking about this morning, what Paul is saying in these verses is showing us the expressive love of God as seen in the life, death, and resurrection of his son. His his expression of his love towards us. And so that's what we're looking at um, this morning. Uh, Three things I think Paul unpacks for us here is one, how deep God's love is, how wide God's love is, and how affectionate his love is. How deep it is, how wide it is, and how affectionate it is. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, confession, 
um, is one of the things that I love, and I know a lot of guys don't really like this, is I love love stories. Like, I love love movies. I love them, right? I love watching love movies. And not just, like, the romantic stuff, you know, none, none of that stuff. And, and hear me, you know, I'm, I'm a masculine man. I'm confident in my, in my identity, so I can say that. Uh, but there's certain movies that I'm drawn to, and many of us are drawn to. And, and some of my favorite movies, I can see that there's certain qualities of these movies that I'm like, I, I, I love it. So one of my favorite movies is Cinderella Man. And you go, that's not a love story. It's about a boxer. It's love, right? And so part of it is, is this guy, is, he's in the middle of the depression. He wants to love his family and provide for his family. So he goes back and knocks people in the face for a little bit to provide for his family, right? Loves his wife, loves his kid. And it's the whole movie, just watching him give himself to his family. Like, man, I'm, I'm drawn to that. Or even just a more, you know, a bigger love story movie like The Notebook. Like, the notebook gets me, right? David was talking about how he likes music, how it stabs him in the heart. Okay, for me, um, I love movies that, that somehow can emotionally just, you know, they take your heart, take it out, ring it out, and just put it in front of it, and you're just looking at it, boom, 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 right? Like, that, like I <laughs> like that image. And so I, I love, notebook is like that for me, where you just sit there and go, Wow. And here's why I think that we're drawn to some of these movies, especially The Notebook, is two things. One, we as, as people, there's something that we're, we're, we're born with. We, we were made to be loved. And so when we see a movie like The Notebook, we go, you know what? I want to love like that guy. Like if something, like I want to love my wife that way. I want to love my kids that way. I want to love my friends that way. I want to love my church that way. I mean, I want to have a love that no matter what you do to me, I'm going to continue to unconditionally love you. Like I, I want that. But on a more heartfelt level, um, we want to be loved like that woman. To know that if we've lost our minds, that somehow and someone would come along and continue to show us the love that they have for us. That they would not leave, but they would spend the rest of their life, all their energy and all their resources, explaining and showing and telling stories about how much they love us. I don't think that we're just drawn to those things because of the plot. I think we're, we're drawn to it because, yes, it's a story, but we're drawn to those movies and those stories because there's always a lover in it. And then when we come to the Bible, we see that there's no, yeah, there's a reason why we're drawn to that. Because we're drawn to a lover. Whether you believe in God, whether you profess Jesus or not, there is something in you that desires to be loved at your deepest being that you want to know no matter what I do, even if I ruined it, that someone would continue to love me. The Bible says that's exactly what God does, is that while we're lost, God finds us. While we're lost spiritually, God comes and communicates and shows and expresses his love for us. A love that's deep, a love that's wide, and a love that's affectionate. And then when we understand this love, it begins to shape us. And it's a story. The Bible tells the greatest love story ever told in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And it's not just a statement, it's a story. And, and here's what I mean by that. We make little pithy statements sometimes that, that though true, they, they're not as helpful. And, I, and I've shared this before. One of my biggest pet peeves is when someone doesn't even know anybody, um, Here's how it'll happen. I'll be at a, a coffee place here, and, and there, I'll be reading my Bible or something really spiritual. And then um, after, <laughs> someone will walk in and see that I'm reading my Bible. Probably they're a Christian, and they go, hey, God loves you. And then just kind of go, hey, can you get a latte, please? And, uh, I mean, it's just kind of like, and the reason why I don't like that is because there's no unpacking of that. There's no, like, yes, God loves you. That's true. God does love you. But how does he love me? Why does he love me? 
Because that statement alone can make me go, oh, that, that, that looks good on a bumper sticker. But how is my life shaped? How is my life formed by that? What, what the Bible shows us is, yeah, God does love you. He does. But he shows you his love. He expresses it. And Paul begins this in verses 6 through 11. It's going to continue for week after week. The first thing that he shows us is how deep this love is. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He makes this statement. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Two words there, weak and ungodly. Not words that we want to attribute to ourselves, but that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm connecting to verse 5, God pouring out his love for us by the Holy Spirit into our heart. It says, while we were weak, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. Now that word weak, it means inability. That we, were, we have no power. We don't have the ability to look and find God's love. That every single one of us creating the image of God, sin in itself has broken that image. It has not obliterated. You still bear the image of God. But what we will do is naturally we will go for other loves. We will not reach out for the lover himself. We will go for other things, but we will never go for the source, the fountain, the head. Meaning we don't have the ability in ourselves apart from the working of God to understand this lover who speaks and moves in our direction. That's weak. We're weak. And then the other one is ungodly. And ungodly means that not only do we not have the ability, but ungodly means we don't even, we don't even have the desire for God. It, it, it's what Paul was talking about in Romans 1. It says, though God has revealed himself through his word and through creation, we suppress the truth. That we would rather do what we think is best. We would rather say we get to make um, our lives the way we want them. We have no submission under who he is, and therefore we become ungodly people. And this in itself is offensive to God. And it's offensive not just in legal terms, it's offensive in relational terms because he is a, he is a being, our, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And therefore, when we sin or reject God, that it's an offense to him. We are denying something. It'd be like me raising my children, my two boys, loving them, feeding them, allowing them to sleep at our house for a few years, um, and then just, just giving them everything of who I am and who their, their mother is to them, and then them growing up and denying it, saying, nope, no thank you, you're not my dad, and finding different dads for themselves. Um, that would hurt me, but it would also offend me because I know the love that I have for them. I know that I'm their father. In very relational ways, God tries to communicate his love to us, and us being weak, we don't want it in our sinful position, and then ungodly, we will naturally go after other things, but the love of God continues to pursue, it says, because even in that moment, Christ died for us. And the way Paul tries to communicate um, how deep this love is, is he shows it by, by um, communicating to us the highest level of human love. Look, look what he says in verse 7 here. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Um, what he's saying in verse 7 is, um, even if you don't know God, he's saying that you don't even have to believe in God, but just by cre being created in his image, there are certain ways in which we love people. And there are certain people, because of who they are to us, how they, they have our affections, they have our attentions, that we may be willing to give our lives for them. He says, maybe, maybe a righteous person, right? Maybe, maybe someone who's righteous. And Paul is not talking about righteous the way that we've been de defining it uh, theologically. He's just saying someone who's loyal, 
Or maybe a good person, perhaps. I mean, I mean, there are some people I would die for. Maybe you would say it's a best friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Like, I would give my life for them. But, like, that's about it, right? I'm like, I'm not going, I'm not going to just give my life for anybody. Um, the, we, we see pictures like this. We read about stories like this. A few years ago, a good friend of mine, probably one of my best friends um, growing up, only Christian friend that I had growing up, and our friends back in California are still real tight, and he's the only believer, uh, person that believes in Jesus amongst our friends and even his family. And what happened was when, they got, when his wife got pregnant with their second kid, the doctor let them know during the pregnancy, like, they have, they have an option. And you probably heard this before, and maybe you've gone through something like this, where either you have to terminate the life of the child, or you could lose your life in giving birth to this child. And then for weeks, they fasted, and they prayed, and they went to their church. And me and my buddy Josh, we would wake up at 5.30 in the morning and pray with one another and talk about what, what, like, what are they going to do because obviously this is a really hard decision for them. And, and then finally, um, they made the decision, and his wife said, um, God has given me this 27 years and has not given this child the life yet. Um, I know him. I'm, I'm, I'm right with him. He's loved me. Um, I'm willing to lose my life, give my life, in order that my baby girl would have life. Makes that decision. Everyone in their family, what are you guys doing? All of our friends, you got to talk to him. And I'm like, I think he's doing the right thing. As hard as that is. That was an act of love. Now, by the grace of God and the miracle of God, not only is she okay, but all the complications that they said the little girl would have, she has none. And God has just done a work in there. But you see that love. But she was saying that without a doubt, I've already made the decision. I'm not going to live, my, but my, my, my daughter will. Paul says, as heavy as that is and as high as that is, the love of God goes far deeper than that. Because that, 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 that woman was um, tethered. There was affections for that little girl. We have affections for family members and friends, and there's something about them that has made us be, be drawn to them. And what Paul is saying, because of the spiritual condition of which we are in, we meaning all of humanity, there is nothing in us in which God would see us and say, my affections are drawn to you. In fact, it says that we are enemies of God, and so there was nothing within us that God would say, you know what, I'm going to give my life for them other than this, his love for us. Other than to communicate how deep his love is for us. And not even just how deep Jesus' love is for us, but how deep the Father's love is for us. Here's what Paul says here in verse 8 to communicate that. He says, but God shows his love for us. And when it says, but God, it's talking about God the Father. But God the Father shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning when we were not looked upon as lovable type people, Christ died for us. Because of the love that the Father had for us. Because of this deep love that he had for us. And here, here's what I want you to see too. When it says he shows his love for us, this is not he showed his love for us at one time and then he just kind of pulled away. It, it, it communicates as he continues to show his love for us. So it, it can be read, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. While we are still weak, now Christ died for us. Um, while we were still in our sin, he shows his love for us. While we are still in our sin, he shows his love for us. Meaning you cannot exhaust the love of God. That God himself, love, has existed for all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when the Father begins to pour out his love for us by the Holy Spirit, begin to express and show his love for us through the death of his Son, Jesus Christ, this love for us that we have, it's, it's, that God gives us, it's amazing. 
and you can't exhaust it. When, when we were kids, and, and I've shared this before, but when we were kids, we were growing up, and we didn't have a lot, especially in the community that my mom moved us to. But since my mom caught in a, in a community in L.A. that was really rough, many of these kids didn't have what we even had. And so she would take these kids in our house, like, constantly. Like, kids would be in our house weeks and months at a time. Like, it was just kind of crazy, especially because we lived in a two-bedroom apartment where me and my mom and me and my brother and my sister, we shared a room. And then it was all these, like, random kids. It's like, who are, who are you, right? And it was, like, sleeping everywhere underneath the couch, like, in the kitchen and the oven. I mean, they're all over the place, right? And I'll never, I'll never forget this, this, this guy, and he wasn't a kid, because at the time I was a kid. I was 10, and he was probably 17, 18 years old, and he was a kid in the streets and was trying to get out of the gang life. And he was in our house, and he would come to our house, and my mom had sent me to the store to get some hot dogs, because she was going to make some hot dogs. And so I went, and, you know, she, hot dogs and buns. I got a ton of hot dogs and buns, you know, for like five bucks, 99 cents stuff. And then um, I finished my hot dog, and I told my mom, hey, I'm about to go make another one. And I remember the guy, his name was D. I don't know what the rest of his name was, but it was D. Um, but I'll never, I'll never forget this, this story. I went to go get another hot dog, and he tapped me on my shoulder, and he says, you, you guys are able to get two? And that, never forget that. I remember I put my plate down, and I went into the bathroom, and I just cried. To think that here I was complaining about, you know, I don't have the things that my friends have, and here are these 99-cent hot dogs that I went and bought from the grocery store that mom just threw in a pot and said, hey, here's some hot dogs. And here's this guy who goes, man, you guys can have two. Like, I've never been where you can go back and get more. I think some of us are like that when it comes to our relationship with God, that we don't see how deep his love is, that we, we're, we're like, thank you, God, that you would save me. But we don't go to him and say, Lord, your, but your word says that there's more that I can come back, that there's more. I'm not going to exhaust it. And so if you ever ask the question of how much, of lo- how much love of God do I have, you can simply ask, answer the question as much as I want. That, that God is not saying I'm just giving you just bits at a time. He's saying all of it. I poured it out by the Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't have to go find it. He says for those who are in Christ, it's yours. You already have it that God is expressing it to you in the work of his son, Jesus. Meaning he shows his love and he continues to show his love. We don't have to be like D and go be surprised that we can get more. But some of us are just kind of nibbling on whatever um, work of God that he did in our life maybe years ago and we're just kind of letting that last through our walk, walk with God and it's so stagnant. It's just stagnant. God says, I have a deeper love for you than that. There, there's more where this came from if you just enter in into that love. Amen? Paul, Paul says it's a deep love, a deep love. And he doesn't just stop there with, with saying how deep God's love is for us in Christ Jesus, that he would die for us. Um, Paul goes on now to verses 9 and 10 to show how wide this love is. And 9 and 10 essentially say the same thing. Read it with me. It says, since, therefore, We have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Um, How wide is the love of God? You ever been in a relationship with anyone? Um, Well, many of us have been in a relationship where we've wondered if the relationship is going to continue, 
right? Maybe it's a spouse to a spouse. Maybe it's a, a, it's a father to a son or, or maybe a friend or a boyfriend to a girlfriend, whatever the relationship is. But you've been in that relationship, and, and you want that relationship so bad, and you're excited about it, but you, you always have that thought in the back of your mind like, like, I could probably do something to jack this up. And you kind of live your whole life, your whole relationship, trying not to mess that relationship up because you're not really sure if it's going to last. And then some of us do that with God. Paul, Paul is trying to show us in these two verses that God's love is not only deep in which he would come to us, that how deep this Father's love is for us, but how wide it is, meaning he will start it, he will sustain it, he will continue it, and he'll finish it. Um, meaning he's saying, um, he communicates something in here in 9 and 10, it's called much more. He'll say much more, much more, and he's going to do it again next week when we come back, and that much more is saying, like, how much more would God do this? Meaning not only does he love you, how much more will he love you as he would continue it? Meaning you got to understand that when God did the, he already did the hard part, he's going to continue to do the rest. You know, like it's, he's, you're, you're not going to be surprised when you see him and he's not going to go, oh man, I'm not really sure who you are. I mean, here's what he says in verse nine. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Um, have, you, have you ever had that, um, and you guys ever had that experience, that dream I had this dream probably five times a year where I didn't finish a class in college. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I didn't. I don't know. Uh, but and, but I, I mean, I, I've, I have a degree. And so I'd, I'd have this dream like, oh, no, I didn't finish this math class. No wonder I can't count. This is horrible, right? And you have that dream and you're like, it's just not finished. And you thought it was. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, man. Paul is trying to give us that experience. Because in our walk with Jesus... We sin. Hear me. Christians, in our walk with Jesus, we blow it. We've said this already. And guess what? You're going to blow it again. And you're going to blow it in ways sometimes where it's going to be hard to even look at yourself. And then when you walk with Christ, and even as you're growing in relation with Christ, there's always these moments that will come up, and all of us, myself included, where there are doubts of saying, when I meet Jesus face to face, am I good? Like, I mean, I, I, mean I, 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 I know the gospel, and I understand what Christ has done on my behalf, and, and I know he's forgiven me past, present, and future, but there's that, still that thought, like, when I, when I see him face to face, he's going to be like, man, sorry. You know, like, like, like hidden fees type stuff, like, oh, there's actually more, and it's like, oh, dang, you know? Like, and what Paul is saying is, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. He says, much more. When he says that now that we've been justified by his blood, that word justified we've been, we've been talking about for weeks. It's a legal term. It means that the, the setting is a courtroom and that the judge itself is looking at us. We're guilty for our sins, but Jesus himself represents us, comes and stands in our place and receives our penalty. And so now the penalty that was meant for us from God because we were ungodly people, that the wrath of God has been poured out upon Jesus. Now believing in him, we are made right before God. He says, if, I've already done, if God's already done that, how much more will he see it to the end? How much more will you be saved? And a few weeks ago, we talked about when it comes to that word salvation or saved, um, there's three tenses. One tense is past tense, that you've been saved. That's when we talk about justification, that God has already done a work on the cross, that by believing in him, that you are saved. And then there's the present tense, meaning right now, and this is used most often in 1 Corinthians, that God himself is saving you by the power of the Spirit from the power of sin that's in our life, that God is saving you, that his work is ongoing in your life. And then there's a future tense, meaning one day when you stand before God that you never have to fear the wrath of God. You never have to fear the rejection of God. 
Romans 1 says the worst thing that we can have from God is for him to let us be who we would naturally be apart from this intervention. But then Romans 3, 4, 5, and the rest of Romans says he has intervened, he has loved us, and now we can have that sigh of relief. There's moments where we will have doubts. There are moments where we have fear because of what we've done, but it's almost like the Spirit of God wakes us up that we can go, "Ah, that's right, it's good to go. Paul says, much more will he be able to do that. Much more, now through his blood, if he's already done this, much more will he finish it. And essentially, Paul says the same thing in verse 10. He says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now, Paul says, use the word enemies there. Now, enemies is legit, I don't like you, I hate you. It's not like U of A, ASU. That's not like a real rivalry when you win all the time, right? And so there, there, there's, a, there's a, I had to, I had to, I had to. God gave us a win last night. We didn't even know how. So, and so, <laughs> so there, <laughs> or the rest, whatever. Um, there, there, the enemies here is, I hate you. Like there is war between me and there's war between you. He said, why we were enemies, if Christ would go across the way, if God would go out of his way to say not just truce, but to reconcile, much more will be saved by his life. Now, what Paul does here. Um, is not just talking about us being saved from the wrath of God. He's talking about something that is happening now. Meaning he's talking about when we have moments of doubt, when we have moments of sin, when we have our flesh and maybe even Satan accusing us of our sin, which we could be guilty of, um, what do we do in that moment to know that when we see Christ, we will be right with him? Well, the Bible talks about this. It talks about Jesus being our advocate. And, and so what Paul alludes here to is what we read about in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus is our advocate. First John says that Jesus is our advocate. Now, this would have been familiar to one of the, some of the original audiences because they would have been Jewish people and they would have understood what it meant to have someone stand in between God and them. In the Old Testament, those people were called priests. And the priests would go into the tabernacle. And the priest would bring blood, and they would stand in between God and God's people and communicate what God has to say to God's people. But the problem uh, problem with this is they would die, and they would die. They'd have to find somebody else to go in, and then they would die. But now what the writer of Hebrews says is that we don't have to wait for somebody else, but we have the high priest himself, the true and better high priest, who goes and represents us to God, that though he died, now in his life he's alive. Meaning we don't have a dead advocate. We have Jesus who's alive, who sits at the right hand of the Father. It's the reason why in the book of Acts chapter 8, we see Stephen who's preaching the gospel and who's stoned for for being a Christian and for, for sharing his faith. And as he's dying, he says, look, I see the heavens open up. And at the right hand of the the Father, I see the Son advocating. What that means is someone that is standing on, on our behalf. And so what an advocate would be is a judge would look at an advocate and would treat the people who the advocate is representing just like the advocate. Would look at them just like the advocate. Would not treat them like they should be deserved, but like the advocate. And so what Paul is saying here is, if God's already reconciled us with his death, how much more is Jesus now in his life saying, they're ours. These people are ours. Because Satan will lie. Satan will bring charges of God's people to the Father, and the Father will always look at the Son, and the Son will always will say, they're with us. They're with us. 
Meaning, the love that the Father has for the Son is the exact, hear me, not a kind of, the exact love that he has for us as his other children. Um, Paul is doing something here. He's trying to raise our affections for God. Raise our affections for him. He's saying much more. Not only through his death, much more even in his life. Meaning the gospel is not only that we are made right with God through his death, but we remain right and in relationship with God through the life of Christ Jesus. Amen? But there's a but. I'm, I'm convinced that, that many of us, we understand this deep love of God, that, that God himself died for us while we were sinners. We're a pretty theological church, and so you've heard it. We are saved by grace and grace alone. You understand that. You could sing hymns of grace, but it doesn't really move you. I, I'm convinced that many of us are really trying to understand this love of God, that, that, that his love covers us, and that he that begin a good work will finish it in completion, and that Jesus himself died for us, but he also lives for us, and we're completely covered. He stands at the right hand of the Father. But that last point, his, his affectionate love, I'm not really sure is as a body that we're living into that love. And here's what Paul says here in verse 11. He says, for, excuse me, verse 11, more than that, he's kind of saying even more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That word rejoice, it also can mean exult. It can also mean boast. I mean, that, that's affectionate word. I mean, we, we boast, we exult, we rejoice in who God is. Or do we? Here, here's what I mean. We may be able to articulate the gospel, we may be able to articulate what God has done on our behalf, but is it affecting our lives? I'm not just talking about your morality. I'm talking about your affection towards God. Are, are, are we drawn to what he's done or are we drawn to the lover himself? Are, 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 we, are we excited about some of the things that he's done? We've been forgiven of sins. That's amazing. But then we stop there. We don't go any further. We don't understand that God is pushing into a relationship with us that we should push equally into that relationship to delight in, to enjoy who he is. I, I think we can write out our, our personal uh, testimonies and say what God has done at some moments, but if we talked and journaled and said, what is he doing now? Am I going to him again and saying, Lord, I walk in and receive in and rejoice in who you are as your being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, this is, a, this is not even a command. Paul's not saying, you better rejoice. He's saying, this is what Christians do. That our affections are raised for him. But here's what I think our problem is. I think we read through Romans so fast and we see the linear nature of Romans. We understand justification and we don't get, anything, we don't get anywhere past justification. Look with me again in verse 10. Uh, in verse 9 and 10, I wanted to pull out two words for there that, that I wanted to save to this last point of his affectionate love. One, in verse 9, it uses the word justified, which we said, that's a legal term. But then Paul is trying to take it past that. In fact, if you look at uh, verse 10 here, it says reconciled. Now, justification and, and um, reconciliation usually are taught, oh, they're synonymous. Mm, kind of. Justification is legal. Reconciliation is relational. Justification is in a courtroom. Reconciliation is in the living room. Meaning, God himself is not just saying, I want to be your judge. Like, how many judges do you want to kick it with? Like, hey, you're good to go. Cool. Later, we'll hang out, me and you, right? No. But we're, some of us are content with that. You, you know what it's like? It's, it's like um, if you've ever been driving down the we've had this experience. You've ever been driving down the street, minding your business. You don't feel like you're disobeying the law by any means, and then a cop gets behind you. 
what happens? You drive way better, right? Like 10 and 2. Like everything that you've ever learned in any driving class, you're there. You're looking over like, put the drugs away. It's like, I don't have any drugs. Well, put them away anyway. Like it's like, you start thinking about what did I do? You're confessing sin. You're praying, God, we need you. Jesus, take the wheel. Like carry underwear the whole thing. Like you're just like, Carrie, get here. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> like that, that, that's the case. And then there's those moments where they just kind of pull beside you and keep going. And you're just like, I'm free. I'm good to go. <laughs> I'm good to go. Um, that's sometimes how we relate to God when we only understand justification. That's beautiful teaching. It is. But what we go is we, we say, oh, we're forgiven. Oh, there's no wrath. Oh, we've been freed from the law. Whew, good. But there's no relationship there. There's not a... <laughs> There's not a pushing into this love that Paul is talking about. We're, we're going to sing a few songs here talking about how deep the Father's love is. If that's where we are, maybe we should just change our song as how great is it that we're just forgiven, and that's it. I just want a sigh of relief. And so I'll hang out with God here at the cross when he forgives me of my sins, and maybe one day way over here in eternity when I see him again. But in the meantime, like, I'm just going to sit. And let me just tell you what this does to a church. It makes us very stagnant, Bible-believing, theologically orthodox, very boring relationally people. Really, it does. We know our Bibles. We can tell you what the gospel says, but we're okay. There's no affection. There's no desire to join with one another. There's no desire to fellowship with the believers because we don't really understand the invitation. We thought the invitation is, you're just forgiven of sins. Ah, oh, I'm free. And hear me, I'm not saying that it's any less than that. I'm just saying it's far more than that. That we are not saved just by a judge. We are saved by a father. A father. The relationship that God desires with his people is not one of a person to a judge. It's one of a father. Paul continues this thought all the way to Romans 8 where he speaks in very affectionate language when he says the spirit cries in us for us, Abba, Father. That's not just I'm off the hook. Many of us are living our Christian life just we're just okay with being forgiven and therefore we don't have affections for who God is, not just for what he's done, who he is. The invitation of love that God has here that Paul says that we can rejoice in is that God has always existed in love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that in love for us, they opened up that relationship of the Trinity in order that we may be invited in to partake in communion with God. And the levels that we experience that commun communion is how, we, how much we push into that love. How much we rejoice into that love. How much we understand that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we understand that much more that he's died for us, that we will also be reconciled with him. The, the, the level that we understand that, we push into that fellowship with God. But sometimes we just, we just okay with the legal, official stuff. And that the, the loving part we talk about, but we don't really get from, from our Father. Not that he's not giving it, but we're not receiving it. it it'd, be like, it'd be like if... Um, if you ask me to describe my relationship with Holly and our marriage, like, oh, describe your marriage. And I was like, oh, one second. And I went and pulled out, like, the certificate. And I was like, legal, right? <laughs> and they're like, well, tell me, tell me about your relationship. Like, do you guys hang out? Bro, witness signed. The pastor signed it. July 7th, oh, 21st, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was so excited two weeks beforehand. Don't even trip, right? <laughs> like, they're... they're, they're <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 if I just kept pointing, he said, no, no, no. It's like, no, it's legal. 
that's kind of what we do with justification. It's like, it's legal, it's legal. It's like, what about the affections? What about the affections? And you say, well, how do I live into that love? This is, this is like 101, but we need to hear this. Um, every morning you wake up, open up your Bible and read it. And then you get on your face and you talk to that God in whom just communicated to you. Or you write it in the journal and you pray and you ask God for help and you get in your car and you ask for more help and you relate to the people around you and you ask for his word and his spirit in those moments and you go to whatever job that you have and you say, whatever these hands do today, Lord, let them be done to your glory. Lord, I want to, ex- I want to express your love. Guys, that's what we were made for. We were made to receive God's love. Sin did not destroy it, but it shattered it. And what Christ entered in to do was not only to forgive you, forgiveness was a means to an end, and that was for him to love you. And he pieces that back together that you may reflect his glory to him. That is rejoicing in him. And, that, and if God himself goes out of his ways to express his love for us, we, those of us in this room who are Christians, should go out of our way in receiving that love to express it back to him and to others that we do whatever we can as a means of grace, whether it's reading, whether it's praying, we're going to take communion um, in just a moment here to remind us of the grace that we have in Jesus. So before before we close, I want want to explain these things to you, especially those of you who are going, I'm pretty stagnant. Some of you show up, some of you show up on a Sunday waiting for God to do something when God's been doing something all throughout the week. And the reason why you show up and you're not wowed is because you're not wowed with him. Not because of the songs we sing or the, the Bible that we teach. It's him. That if you're not preparing your heart to worship collectively with God's people, you shouldn't, you shouldn't expect to be wowed. You're not going to be wowed by anything that David can do or anything I can do. We're just dudes that need Jesus. And if we're not wowed before God, what we stand here before you guys, it's just, it's just rehearsing something. It becomes boring religion. Nowhere in the Bible, any of the Bible writers or any of the men and women that we esteem to be like, none of them have such a static relationship with God. It's always dynamic. They, they, they fall, they fumble, they stumble, and yet they trust in his love and his mercy. They're never just, I'm off the hook. Christ says, Paul says, I want to know all things and to know you, to join with you, to be with you in your resurrection. I want his life to be lived in me and through me. Guys, That's what God desires to do in his people as he pours out his love for us. And the good news is that Jesus, because his love for us far outweighs our love for him, he's not going to have any less. Because the Spirit's love for us far outweighs our love for him, he's not going to have it any less. And because the Father deeply loves us, he's not going to have it any less. So God himself will continue to pursue us, continue to show up his love. It's us now responding in that love and pushing in that love, understanding that God himself wants to be with us for all eternity. And eternity starts now. Amen? Let's pray.